Okay. How are we? Really, that good? It's amazing. <laughs> well, can I ask you to turn to 1 Timothy, please? If you have a Bible with you. If you don't, don't fret. The words will come up behind me on the screen. As a, a way of introduction, my name is San Santino. I'm um, one of the pastoral leaders of the church here. It's a privilege to serve this church and, and be a member here, so it's great to be preaching here this morning. Um, as you're finding 1 Timothy, just want to share, we're currently running an Alpha course. That is a course that what I often deem as a window into the Christian faith. And just to let you know, we had the Holy Spirit Day. We're about just over halfway through. We had the Holy Spirit Day yesterday, and it's just a brilliant time. Um, my friend Dave and Claire are co-leading it with me, and we've got a, I'm not just saying this, we've got a phenomenal team, and we've, got, we've made phenomenal friends on the course. You're a great gang, and I see many of your faces here this morning that are currently on Alpha. But again, yesterday we had another lady respond to Jesus, become a Christian, and you're here this morning. Um, and we had, which is, ah, oh, man, heaven's rejoicing, right? And we had a couple of people baptised with the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's like the cherry on top. So it's a good day. It was a good day. And if you're here this morning, you don't know anything about Jesus. And some of what's been said and sung about, you're kind of like, oh, this is all a bit bonkers. Come and speak to me afterwards. Come and speak to myself and there'll be some friends down here at the front, members of the church that you can talk to. Okay, I should have given you plenty of time to turn to 1 Timothy. We are currently in a series and I'm jumping back into chapter 1. Uh, Paul has taken us into chapter three, uh, 2 and we're coming to chapter 3 but we missed a section because of the snow so I am taking us back to chapter 1 verse 18 and 20. We've got three verses to look at and unpack this morning. So without any further ado, this is the title, Fight the Good Fight. We're going to read them together. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, what do we say? We love your presence. We absolutely love your presence. There's nothing like it, church, is there? Nothing like the presence of God. Nothing like the Son who has rescued us from our sin. Nothing like the Holy Spirit that just comes and speaks and directs. So I ask you, you'd speak and direct me today, Lord. I pray, as Adrian said, would you change lives? Would you speak to us today? For Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to break this down into two sections. The first section, I'm going to just walk us through this text. I'm hopefully going to teach it as best I can. And in the second section we're going to apply it to our lives. So what I want to do is teach it and then look to apply it. Firstly, what do they say? What do these three verses say? Jan, if we can leave them up on the PowerPoint behind us, just if you haven't got your Bible, you can look and follow along with me. Verse 18, 
starts by saying, Timothy, my son. We can miss that. Timothy, my son. There's such affection between these two men. Such affection. Father and son-like affection. A real knowing of each other. Genuine relationship. Paul has walked alongside this guy, Timothy. He's walked alongside him. He's nurtured him. He's mentored him. He's seen him through into church leadership, into helping elder and pastor this church. Paul is responsible. It's God, of course, but Paul has been a spiritual father, a mentor in the faith. So he's writing, Timothy, my son. I'll give you this instruction. Oh, this charge, this order, that's a language that we would probably be familiar with. Paul, as a father, spiritual mentor, is saying to his son in the faith, I give you this order, this charge, Timothy. I want you to listen to me very closely. Because what I've got to say is really, really important. What I've got to say is in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. What is prophecy? Now, what I'm not going to do is go down a trail, and this is not a themed preach on prophecy, the different levels of prophecy and what prophecy is and what it isn't. What I want to do is stick closely to this text and look at what Paul is talking about when he's talking about prophecy in relation to this. So what is prophecy here? Basically, God speaks. God speaks. And he speaks to an individual through individuals. And that's what we believe prophecy to be today. That God speaks. He speaks to us through one another. Not necessarily word for word. I want to be really careful here. It's not a necessary, it's not like an identical, the cat sat on the mat. And it just, so is that mat or hat? What? It's an essence. It's here in the heart of God. It's here in his purposes and plans. And he uses weird and wonderful vessels like us to speak through. So what are the prophecies once made about Timothy? Well, we're not exactly sure. We get very good clues through the scriptures. Timothy had hands laid on him from Paul. Now, if you're new here, if you're not a Christian, what, on, hands la- what are you talking about? Hands laid on you. Well, very often we see in the scriptures that someone would lay their hands. It's like a conduit or a vehicle or it's the way God does things. There's hands laid on and people pray and God moves. So it says in uh, that Timothy had hands laid on him from Paul and other elders. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, Do not neglect your gift. Timothy, don't neglect your gift which was given you for a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So there's a group of elders that gathered around Paul, laid their hands on him, and God spoke. God spoke prophetically to Timothy. And this speaking was an equipping, it was an empowering, it was a calling out to lead. Timothy is called to lead a church. He's not like, "Mm, who will do? Tim. Timothy will do. Dan will do. No, there's a calling. There's a calling out. There's an equipping. There's an empowering. Let's liken it to our own church here, Paul, who leads us. He's our lead pastor. 
He's not just the one that the lot fell to. We flicked a coin, it's Paul. He's the one that God has called. He's the one that God has equipped. Equipped? <laughs> equipped. Many of you knew, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you with equipped. For the task ahead, Timothy has been called and equipped, and it's as speaking of God. Timothy is saying, Timothy, my instruction is in line with this. My instruction is all in accordance with what you've heard God say to you. Still in verse 18, so that by following them, these words, God's speaking, these prophecies, so that by following them, you may, Timothy, fight the good fight. Now, the English Standard Version, which is another translation of the Bible, says, or wage the good warfare. Wage a good warfare. Fight the good fight. Wage a good warfare. It's really powerful language, isn't it? The Christian life is a battle. How many of you know that? There's one hand went straight up. The Christian life is a battle. Some of my Alpha friends are thinking, oh, hang on. Don't worry, guys. It's a good battle. You're in a good war. You're in a good fight. But it is a battle. It's a great life. It's a wonderful life, but it is a fight. And Christian leadership is a battle. False teaching is coming into this church that Paul is encouraging Timothy to lead, that Timothy is leading. False teaching is creeping in. And Paul is encouraging, no he's not, he's instructing Timothy to fight. It's not a, how's it going Timothy? Just sit back, chill out, enjoy the grace of God together and just float along and let whatever comes in, come in. Because God's love He'll sort it out. No. Paul is very specific. He says, fight. Timothy, you fight. And you fight the good fight of faith. Timothy, you stand strong. You stand strong in the face of danger, in the face of challenge, in the face of conflict, discouragement, difficulty, and you fight against it. You fight against anything that compromises the true gospel of grace, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that is coming in to pervert you away from the true gospel, that is Jesus, you fight. So King's Church, I want to exhort you in the same way. Anything that comes in to pervert you away from Jesus Christ, you fight not fisticuffs. It's a spiritual battle. You use your spiritual muscles, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and you fight. How's Timothy told to do this? Verse 19, by holding on. Holding on to two things, faith and a good conscience. Firstly, faith. Holding on to faith. And I don't think it's a holding on for dear life, like, oh, faith. Like you're holding... It's a, it's a fighting holding on if that makes any sense. If you know this is nailed into the ground and I'm, I'm standing on it. Faith, he's a man of faith. Timothy is a man that's put his faith, belief, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's someone that needs to hold the deep truths of God that have centuries been passed down to him. The deep truths of Christian theology and doctrine from his forefathers 
Hold on to these truths about God. I felt drawn to this verse as well, which is later in chapter 4, verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy in a similar way. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Really, really quite specific. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Doctrine, what do I mean by that? What do you believe about God? Timothy, watch it. Because there are many views out there, folks, about God, about Christianity, about the church, about Jesus. Watch your doctrine closely. And he's saying, watch your life, first of all. And I think that is kind of alluding to me, like your conscience. Watch your character, your conscience, your lifestyle, your code of ethics. Watch it. Watch how you live. Watch your doctrine. I think that's faith. What you believe to be true. Watch it. He's effectively saying, Timothy, keep your heart pure, keep your heart soft, and keep it open to God. Thank you, Natalie. She gave me that inspiration. Keep your heart pure, keep your heart open, and keep your heart soft for God. Why is it important? What's the panic? Back to chapter 1 verse 19, because he says some have rejected these. Some have rejected both of these things, faith and a good conscience, and have so shipwrecked the lot. Shipwrecked their faith. What a graphic picture. What graphic language. Do you need me to interpret that in any other way? Shipwreck. What's the first image that comes to your mind? Disaster. Ruin. Calamity, pain, hurt, shipwreck. To reject both faith and conscience, Timothy, will result in shipwreck. And verse 20, it says, Among them are. Paul says, Among these guys, there's, among some of these people that have shipwrecked, he names two of them Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now, it's gone really badly for these guys, Paul's saying. Among some of these people that have stained their conscience and faith is Hymenaeus and Alexander. It's gone badly for them. Paul's made it public and he's using them as an example. When we read this verse that's going to come, I want to be very careful how we handle that and I'll walk us through carefully, I hope. Whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. The temptation to say, Alan, come up, let's just sing a song. Quick, sing a song, let's do something. Whom I've handed over to Satan. These guys are among others that I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. In the ESV study Bible it says that they may learn not to blaspheme. Really, really in challenging verse. Handed over to Satan. What on earth does this mean? I believe it to mean correction, confrontation, and ultimately church discipline. I want to keep smiling at you this morning because I want you to catch my heart. I want want to walk us into church discipline a little bit. I'm not going to stay there long, but I want to do it smiling at you because it's not a punishment. It's not punishment. As soon as we have a heart of punishment, we've lost the plot. God doesn't punish us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. His love is never-ending. 
The overwhelming evidence of, from biblical commentators and scholars alike, this is from yesteryear and today, is that what Paul is referring to here when he says handing over to Satan, he's referring to church discipline. So we're just quickly going to look at what it is and why it happens. What is church discipline? What is this handing over? It's where a person is removed from the church, put out of the church. Not out of the building. You know the church not to be a building. It's put out of the people. From the community, the shelter, the nurture, the protection, and the fellowship of God's church, the house where God dwells. Do you know the bonkers truth is, God's house is here. This is where God lives. The earth is his, but where God loves to dwell is within his church. We're made up of living stones and we come together where God dwells by his spirit. So this church discipline is a removing from the church, from the covering, the fellowship, the place where God dwells, the protection, the nurture, the safety, and handing over to the world. It's effectively saying, we've taken our hand. Paul's not saying, get out and a big kick. He's effectively saying, as your pastor, or Timothy, as their pastor, you take your hands off. And you say, you've made your choice. We love you, but our hands are off, and you now need to go that way. Which is Satan's arena. Handed over to Satan means the world, the God of this age, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Talking about the enemy. So handing someone over to the world is effectively saying, you're back over. Hey, if you don't want to follow us, then go and follow your own ways. Why do we do it? Why does it take place? Firstly, we need to understand the role of leaders, pastors or elders. So Paul's role here as our lead elder, our leader, is to lead us in love. He leads us in love. He lays his life down for us as a church, which is amazing. Do you ever think that way? Paul has laid his life down for us. He's a gift given by God. So an elder is someone given by God to the church to care for, to guide, to govern, and to guard the people. And to guard, like shepherds would. Picture a shepherd leading a group of sheep This shepherd loves his sheep and he wants to nurture them well. He wants to lead them towards safe pastures. He doesn't want any of his sheep to go astray. Jesus uses that analogy. If one goes missing, the shepherd goes after him. That's how it's to be done. Not one sheep is to go missing. I love my sheep. So just like a shepherd would guard their flocks from wolves, from harm, from danger... That's the role of an elder or a pastor. It's to look after and guard the church, the flock of God, the sheepies that God has given. Sheeps. I heard someone go, sheeps. Sheeps. Making sure that wolves don't come in and want to have a munch. That's what it's about. Making sure wolves don't come in says in Acts, take heed of yourself and of the flock of which God has made you an overseer. 
It's the role of a shepherd is to watch his flock. And it's the role of an elder to watch the flock of God. So why does it happen? What warrants church discipline? I want to be crystal clear on this. I'm still smiling. I want to be crystal clear on this. The reason is for unrepentance, not a mistake. You need to hear me on that. Unrepentance, not a mistake. If it was about mistakes, none of us would be here. We wouldn't have a church. We wouldn't have a gospel, would we? It's not for mistakes. What I'm talking about is an unrepentant heart. What I mean by that is that a person who is part of the flock chooses to say, I'm living my own way. The person lives in complete compromise to the gospel. Ungodly, stubborn, unwilling to change, unwilling to see their error, unwilling to do anything about it, and unwilling to listen to instruction, causing harm to the flock, causing harm to themselves, effectively saying, I'm just going to not take any notice of you, I'm living my own way. What is the goal? There's always a goal. It's not punishment. The goal of church discipline or correction is that it we see restoration take place. That the person sees the error of their ways. I've been false teaching or following this or living a a life that is compromised. Oh man, what have I been doing? Like the son in the story of the prodigal. I'm coming to my senses and I'm going back to the father. So that's the first thing. Secondly, that the person repents or turns from their ways. I'm making this right again. And thirdly, that the person is fully restored, welcomed back, like the father in the story, my son, get a cow, get a jacket, get some new shoes for him, get my best ring, they're home again. It's always restoration. So the heart behind it is love. I just want to read you a quick snippet from a book by a chap called Terry Virgo about correction. He says, correction must be done in love. A surgeon has one goal, to make his patient well again. However, he knows that there is a right time and a place for the operation. He doesn't just lop something off as he passes by in the corridor. And he knows that he must prepare himself well. He doesn't turn up drunk or disorderly at the operating theatre. If there's a problem with someone in the church, we don't put the matter off for two years. Neither do we say, it's about time I spoke to him and plunged in the knife. We react in a spirit of gentleness. This is a delicate operation. I've got to prepare myself well. I've got to prepare and pray for the right moment and setting. God help me to express love. The purpose of a spiritual authority is to bless and build up the flock of God. It should be done out of an outworking of love and devotion of leadership of people. I thought that was beautiful. The heart behind church discipline always needs to be a heart of love, mercy and grace with restoration, the goal. First section over. You can breathe. Please breathe. That's what I believe these three verses to be saying. Now what I want to do is bring it down to our day. What do we do about it? How do we apply this? Do we apply it? Yes, I think we do. This is the application. The letter is addressed to Timothy, but all scripture is what? God breathed. All scripture is God inspired and it's useful for us 
It's really, really helpful for us. It's good to teach us. It's good to encourage and warn and remind and confront and challenge, but equally to correct and strengthen, get us back on track. Like Timothy, we have two options before us. We can either fight the good fight of faith or we can shipwreck the whole lot. Christianity is not a life of cruising. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news this morning. It's not a life of just sitting back and seeing what happens. You cruise, you crash. I want to hit the pause button for a moment. You cruise and you crash. And I will look some of you in the eye. You cruise and you will crash. There is no doubt about it. This is a warning. Here are some areas that I think we need to hold on to. And I think I get these principles from this text and we're just going to whistle through them fairly quickly. Firstly, I think we can hold on to relationships. Timothy, my son. There was a holding on to relationships that will keep us on track. And I'm talking about open and honest relationships, a real knowing of each other. And I think the principle I'm talking about, now I know the principle I'm talking about, is a Timothy and Paul style principle. A father and son. Now I don't think it has to be age specific. I've had mentors in the faith that have been younger than me. Anthony being one, a guy that used to be a member of the church here for visitors. There was this chap that was younger than me, but he was my spiritual mentor for many years. Because he was further in the faith, if that makes sense. Do you have someone like that? Someone in your life that can speak into your life? Someone that you trust and that you would listen to? It's been vitally important for me, for my growth and development. It's been crucial. It says in Proverbs 27, verse 18, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There is an iron sharpening iron moment that goes on when you've got a spiritual mentor someone that can speak into your life. So an application from today, why not seek that person out? Please, please, don't be too proud to think, I don't need it. You're never too old to need a spiritual mentor. You're never too young in the faith to feel you need one either. Why not pray about it? Seek God, ask God to lead someone your way. Men, a spiritual father, women... A spiritual mother. I'm not talking for men, go and find yourself a spiritual mother. You've got your own mother. Men, find a spiritual father, someone you trust, value, listen to, etc. Secondly, hold on to prophecy. Hold on to prophecy. God speaks, he calls and he equips for his work. He speaks directly and he also speaks indirectly. Sometimes it's to you direct. Other times, very often, it's through someone else and very often, it's through the Bible. God speaks. Prophecy shapes you. It underpins things. When things are difficult, because things do get jolly difficult, the Word of God can underpin everything. God's spoken to me. I will not let go. He will never leave me. But God's called me into this. God's spoken to you in some way. 
broaden the horizon. I'm not looking at specifics, but how has God spoken to you? When things are confusing, remember, God speaks. God speaks. What has God said to you? Has God spoken to you? Has he called you? Has he given you promises? Has he affirmed some things? Maybe even this morning, he's affirmed sonship, adoption, that he's your father. Hold on to such words. Have people had words for you? Believe them to be from God. I want to ask you, what are you doing about it? What do you do about it? Are you weighing them? What do I mean by that? Are you working them through? And you don't do that on your own. You sometimes have people say to you, God has called me to do this. Really? Who's chatting to you about that? Oh, no one, it's just me and Jesus. No. That's not how we do it. God places us in the community and he helps other people have a sober assessment. Because I could tell you, I've been called to be your Prime Minister. And I need you, Gareth Beale, to tell me, no, you haven't, Sen. Thank you for that sober assessment. Don't worry, I'm not called to be your Prime Minister. A helpful guide is in, is it in line with scriptures? Is it in line with what the Bible says? If you feel God has called you, he's spoken to you in some way, search the scriptures. Ask someone else to help you. Because that's a good line to line it all up with. Do you know what? For me, very personally, prophecy has been so precious to me. I shared this at Alpha yesterday. I am an unschooled, uneducated man. I have been called to teach. It's bonkers. It's completely other than what anyone else would think. I know God has called me. He has spoken to me. And I'm not saying it in an arrogant way. Please don't hear that. But I know God has spoken. And it hasn't really been directly from him. It's been overwhelming senses of other people saying, God, God's got this for you. God's got this for you. I remember one meeting, I was in this meeting and there was this guy called Jay John uh, preaching and me and my friend Anthony were talking and he said, young man, can you stand up? And I thought, oh no, he's going to tell me off. <laughs> and then he just spoke directly into my life. This is what I believe God's called you to do. Boom, boom, boom. Wow. And it's now starting to come about. God speaks. God speaks. You've got to hold on to it. It's precious, precious, precious. Two more to go. Hold on to faith and a good conscience. I'll rattle through this, not losing some of the weight of it, I hope. Hold on to faith and a good conscience. Firstly, faith. How is your faith? How is your faith? How is your faith? Are you holding on to faith? Faith in Jesus, I'm talking about. Not faith in anyone else. Faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. How is your faith? Also, are you holding on to the deep truths of the faith, Christian theology and doctrine? Are you studying the scriptures? Are you reading the Bible? Are you getting your faith into it, saying, God, I don't understand this, but why? How? What? Speak to me. I want to learn more. I want to develop. What are you doing to develop and grow? Are you getting flabby? Are you getting flabby in the faith? 
I felt this was a word that challenged me recently. I thought, if, if I'm not careful, I can get flabby. Like any other exercise, you work at it, don't you? You, you train yourself, you discipline yourself. You see some pretty ripped up guys out there, and girls, but they haven't just woken up after drinking three cans of Stella and eating Monster Munch all day, suddenly got this body of a, a Greek god. Sorry. They have fought for it. They've been down the gym. I've got a friend of mine, I'm not going to say him because he might listen to this one day, he is completely ripped up. Comple- what I mean by that is he's really muscly. Okay? And I often joke with him, I say, Vinny, you look a bit flabby there, son. He's like, where, where, where? And he's constantly like, no, that top's a bit baggy. He's the tightest top's going. Oh, yeah, sorry, you noticing my muscles through this really, really tight top? Yeah, good, aren't they? Now, I'm not talking about that we parade our faith out. Like, look at my tight, muscly faith. But you've got to train. You've got to fight. If you want to be a man or woman of faith, you've got to knuckle down. You've got to get to the gym and it's you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus working it out. Help me out, Lord. Help me out. I'm going through this. It's painful, but you're the rock. I'm going to hold on to you through thick and thin. Work it out. The Christian life is a journey. It's a great life. It's a great, great life. And we have wonderful promises. The best promises that money could buy. Well, money can't buy it. But it's also a battle, like I've said, and it's a battle of faith. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, my alpha buddies, you signed up for war. We've got the T-shirts for you and everything. (laughs) But you signed up to a battle. But don't worry, because it's been won. It's been won. He's alive. Like we've said on Alpha... You know, Jesus died carrying our sins. He was buried in the tomb and then he rose three days later, giving us salvation. The battle is done. But there's these little skirmishes that are going on and we've got to fight the good fight. None of us are immune to false teaching. None of us are immune to following error. None of of us are immune to shipwreck. We hold faith. What about conscience? I'll be quick on this. I think it's that thing that tells you right from wrong. We've all been born with a conscience. Before you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, you have a conscience. I'm not negating the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that conscience within you that goes, yeah, I'll go, oh, no. Right and wrong. Ethics, morality, lifestyle, character, behaviour, attitudes. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it just, boom, God rudders you his way. So the conscience is like the rudder in your life. As soon as you give your life to Jesus, the rudder is aligned to him. And the Holy Spirit speaks through your conscience and he says, don't do that. Come back here. Don't you dare go down that path. But he says it like a loving father. And I think your conscience is attached to your heart. So I just want to float this thing out there. What's your conscience like? Is that areas of compromise in your life? Are there areas that you once stood away from and said, no way, not for my saviour, no. But now you're like, I'll explore it, I'll explore it, I'll explore it, and now your conscience is dull. And it's dulled. 
and you've lost an edge. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. It's grace for you here. Your conscience is so important that you have a conscience that is peaceful. In Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God, know me, test my heart, and know my anxious thoughts. This is a wonderful prayer. See if there is any offensive way within me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Make that your prayer. Search me, O God. Test me, know my heart, see if there is any offence in me, and now lead me in your way. Everlasting. Last one, and then we'll pray. This is the last one, and it's the one that holds it all together. Hold on to Jesus. The answer's always Jesus. I'm looking at our youth workers. The answer's always Jesus. Kids, what's the answer? Jesus! It's always Jesus. And I haven't shoehorned this in, because the only reason Paul is writing to Timothy is because of Jesus. It's all for him, because of him, through him, to him, for him. It's all for him. Paul, for Paul, Jesus is central. For Timothy, Jesus is central. What about you? Some of you are fresh to it, and yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. But others, come on, let's be realistic. What about you? Is Jesus still that centre place of your life? Is he Lord of all? Not just Lord of a Sunday, but Lord of all. We know we need to keep him Lord of all, but the reality is we can get sidetracked, it can become all-consuming, the important things get pushed to the side, such as our first call to love and follow Jesus. Jesus has made it so simple for us. Come, follow me. Not religion. It's following a person, the Saviour. It's so important. How do we keep Jesus central? I'm going to finish with this. This, We've got to listen to this because you might miss it. How do you keep Jesus central? Are you ready? By keeping him central. You might need to write that down. I want to use a lighthouse analogy. I was chatting to Nat in the week and she just brought this picture of a lighthouse. What is the role of a lighthouse? It is to show the boat light in darkness and to say, be careful, there's a shore right here. Watch out for these rocks. I want to try and navigate you through the shores, through the choppy waters. There's a bright light. Jesus is your light. He's the light of the world. I'm going to paraphrase, but it says in the Bible that he is the light of life. And if we follow him, we will never walk in darkness. It's a promise. So just as the lighthouse navigates a boat or a ship, Jesus is your lighthouse. Look for him in everything you do. Watch him keep you away from the shores that are going to shipwreck your life. Watch him keep you away from those rocks that will damage your boat. Jesus is the light of the whole earth and he is a wonderful saviour. In summary, hold on to relationships, hold on to prophecy, hold on to faith and a good conscience and most importantly, hold on to Jesus. He's a wonderful saviour. Can I ask you to stand? We're going to pray.
I can ask you just to close your eyes. Just going to invite the Holy Spirit here to minister to us, to speak to us. There's some here that have known him for years. There's others that have no idea who he is. There's some that have just started the journey. So whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you find yourself, I pray that our Father in heaven will speak to you now through his precious Holy Spirit. So I just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Open yourself up to God. And I want to just say one thing. There's grace here for you today. If you've been following error, or if you've been adding compromise to your life, or living a life that isn't pleasing to God as one of his followers, there's grace here for you this morning. There's love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and waves of it that can flood over you. Let's all choose today to fight the good fight of faith, holding on to Jesus Christ. Amen? Heavenly Father, I pray you'd speak to us, you'd guide us, you'd do us good, and I pray we'd get to know you more and more and more, all for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. Just if you are visiting us this morning, like Emma said at the break, please come and have a coffee. If you're new here and you've anything that I've said or has challenged you through our morning, come and speak to myself. I'll be at the front here. And if you'd like us to pray for you for any specific issue, we'd love to pray for you also. Other than that, have a cracking rest of Sunday.